On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we discuss the five people-pleasing archetypes, three origins of people-pleasing, and fawning in abusive relationships. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today we are going to talk about people-pleasing. But if you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please do read all of the instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do read all of the instructions and send it in the format that we ask for. And today we're going to be discussing people-pleasing. And a few weeks back, I was on a call with someone and I was asking them a question about what their type of people-pleasing was because there were many different types. So that got me thinking about eventually doing an episode about people-pleasing as a whole. And just to state right off the bat, not every person entering a relationship that turns into abuse starts off as a people pleaser. And sometimes when you are in the abuse, you're trying to survive as best you can. And a trauma response would be considered uh, fawning when you are in, in this survival mode, which is people pleasing. So when people are talking about abuse and trauma, they will say, are you fighting? Are you in flight? Is there a freeze? And the fourth one would be uh, fawning, which is uh, people-pleasing. But in my opinion, it differs a tad when it comes to the abuse due to the urgency and safety, and we will eventually get there. So now, when it comes to people-pleasing, there are five different archetypes, and they all have Uh, positive and negative qualities. The negative qualities are the codependent versions of these people-pleasing types. So what drives the negative qualities are really the need to be needed, whereas the positive versions of these types have healthy boundaries. And we're really just going to be discussing the positive versions of these types today. So the five archetypes are the rescuer, the martyr, the caretaker, the peacemaker, and the cheerleader. And I'm sure some of you out there who are people pleasers will resonate with more one with more or one of the types that I just mentioned. They really just really jump out at you right there. So let's start off with the rescuer. So the rescuer is always trying to save people from whatever they're doing, poor decisions, whatever type of crisis situations that they might be in. And the rescuers can show up at the right place at the right time. They know exactly what is needed to help someone and get them into a really just a better place in their life. And healthy rescuers don't really need to maintain the relationship with the person that they're rescuing after the rescuing is done. A codependent rescuer will continuously need to be needed, thus causing issues in a relationship. But a healthy version of a rescuer is when they aren't needed anymore and they don't want to be needed anymore. There is no attachment. 
And in abusive relationships, we hear a lot of the time on the show that the victim might have uh, grown up in a rescuing environment or they had like this really bleeding heart. So they see the potential in someone and it's a very familiar situation for them. We heard this recently on an episode that had to do with addiction where uh, the victim or the survivor was told that they helped save this person's life. And that just reinforced what was going on and built more trust that this rescuing was working. So that's um, the rescuer. And up next, we have the martyr. So the martyr is someone who is just always ready to sacrifice themselves for the greater good or for someone that they love. And healthy martyrs have values and boundaries And this means that they will sacrifice themselves and give 110% to what they are devoted to, but they also check in with themselves to see where they are too. So do they have enough to give or do they need self-care? So that's, you know, a healthy version of, of a martyr, someone who's able to check their values and really understand where they are. But even if you have a healthy uh, martyrdom, if you get into a relationship and, you know, it's becomes and it's in a relationship with an abuser in, in, in someone's hands, in the wrong hands, someone might be able to manipulate you if they know what buttons to push with you. So eventually you might become a martyr with no boundaries. And no matter how much you're sacrificing, no matter how much you're giving for an abuser, it will never be enough. And up next, we have caretakers. And caretakers want to take care of other people, of course. And a caretaker is genuinely attentive to other people's needs, their well-being, and they really do love assisting and nurturing people who are generally in need for their care. And a healthy caretaker, again, has a boundary system and understands autonomy and independence and doesn't step over that boundary line. They know that they have their own independence and someone else has to have their independence as well. And they don't take it personally if they offer care for someone and if that care is rejected. But in, uh, in abusive relationships, we hear a lot of stories on our show that people are finding themselves in these caretaking roles, emotional caretaking. They dance around in caretake outbursts, tantrums, complaints, and more. Uh, Caretaking might also be responsibilities around the home, financial help as well. So this is, you know, the caretaker and and the people pleaser where you can have a, a healthy version of it, but in an abusive relationship, a caretaking role can be taken on and really, really uh, be manipulated for you to take care of everything. And up next, we have the peacemaker. And a healthy peacemaker with boundaries is someone that listens to everyone's point of view or perspective and is able to peacefully communicate that the other person is heard, but to also have their own voice, their own opinion, and they don't shrink into the background at all. Uh, the peacemakers we will hear stories about in the abusive relationships on our sh- on our show uh, will really just want peace at 
any cost and even to themselves. So once they're in these relationships, they become agreeable. They never want to rock the boat or say something that would make the other person unhappy or upset. And they often give up their own needs of well-being just to avoid conflict. And that's because they are afraid of what will happen because of maybe one scary incident that they saw early on. And so their mind goes to, it's better to be safer and to be quiet. So this will cause them to lose themselves and that helps lose their authenticity, the truth of who they are, their opinions, their voice, and their needs. And the last one on our list of these archetypes is the cheerleader. And cheerleaders are caring. They are loyal. They are supportive friends. They're someone that you can count on to be there for you. And then the biggest thing for a healthy cheerleader is to really truly discern who is deserving of their cheerleading and their loyalty and to not give that energy to people who can't or will not reciprocate those things back for them and to appreciate everything that the cheerleader brings to the table. And in an abusive relationship, the loyalty aspect of things can really keep a cheerleader in a relationship longer, especially if trust has been built over a very long period of time. So those were the five archetypes. And when it comes to people-pleasing, it can happen in relationships for a variety of reasons. And here are a few of them. And the first one is being a response to trauma. So those who've experienced trauma may experience, as I stated earlier, fawning. And fawning is people-pleasing and will get more into depth about my opinion on how fawning is a tad different uh, than people pleasing soon. But uh, fawning happens as a way to regain a sense of safety. So people who are regularly experiencing trauma learn that they can fend off trouble by staying hyper-focused on the emotional signals and needs of the person who is causing this trauma. The second one on this list is the way you were taught to receive love. So people-pleasing patterns can develop because caregivers couldn't mirror you as a child, meaning that they couldn't recognize, validate, or sit with your emotions and experiences. So to be seen by your parents or caregivers, you learned as a child to neglect your own feelings and to engage with others based on their emotions and their experiences and not yours. So this can lead to you becoming like a chronic fixer, helper, etc. going forward when you get involved in any type of relationship. So the third and last one on our list for reasons of becoming a people pleaser is it can be a response to oppression or to stigma. So someone might be in a position of financial insecurity and may choose to be people pleasing because they don't want to live on the streets. Uh, they don't want to have no money to, to feed their children. A lot of it can be real financial insecurity and you are forced to become a people pleaser to keep that security going. And this isn't just a relationship or at work either. Uh, people who have faced widespread oppression and stigma like those in the BIPOC community, LGBTQ plus community and others, they have been forced to tolerate difficult situations or risk further harm and the threat of real violence uh, to their life as well. And this can create a lifelong cycle of people-pleasing that's created by this systemic oppression that has been created by society. 
so now let's discuss fawning. You know, fawning is people pleasing. They're they're the same thing, but in my mind, fawning has more of this urgency to it and this survival that is going on when you're fawning, especially when you're discussing uh, relationships, abusive relationships. And as I mentioned before, there's the fight, flight, and freeze trauma responses, but there is also the fawning response. And Pete Walker, who wrote Complex PTSD from uh, Surviving to Thriving, he says fawning is a response to a threat by becoming more appealing to that threat. So this is really done to protect themselves. Anyone who is fawning has done so because they're doing what is best for them to survive. And there's no shame in being someone who fawns. You're, you're surviving. You're doing the best thing that you know how. Because when you're inside these relationships, it's very difficult to see any exits at all. So you're just kind of doing your best within the parameters and the boundaries of that relationship to keep on living, to keep yourself safe, to keep your children safe if you have children as well. Because safety is at the is the utmost concern, most likely for everyone uh, at this point. You know, and safety just doesn't have to mean uh, physical safety. It also means emotional safety. And when it comes to the finances of everything, this is also, you know, the fear of being put out on the street, the fear of, you know, having everything taken away from you, uh, money, house, food, everything. And that's why in this, in, in my mind, fawning is, even though it's the same as people pleasing, the word to me means like within the relationship, you know, this real sense of urgency because of the fear that has been created uh, by your abuser. So what are signs of you fawning? Uh, That could be you stifling your own needs. You could be finding your own self-expression very challenging. You are trying to fly under the radar. You have trouble saying no. Uh, You're over-apologizing. You're holding back uh, your opinions you might be depressed. You might be experiencing chronic uh, pain or illnesses. You'll have trouble with boundaries. You're assuming responsibilities for the emotional reactions and responses for others. You're trying to fix problems or rescue people from their problems uh, as well when you're in a fawning response. Uh, You deny to yourself your own discomfort, complaints, pain, needs, and wants. And you're changing uh, your preferences to align with others, specifically the abuser in this situation. You know, and we hear a lot of times on our show that you are walk- someone is walking on eggshells. I never knew when this person was going to explode. Uh, I had to possibly always kind of move around or shapeshift myself depending on the mood. You know, the mood of the home is always dictated by someone else's mood, not your own. And you're just kind of maneuvering in it and constantly changing to appease that person's mood. Because a lot of time you hear if my partner is in a good mood, I had to be in a good mood. If my partner is a bad mood, I had to be in a bad mood or I had to appease that bad mood as well. My mood had to be what was approved of what was going on within that system. 
And also within these households or systems or work, people aren't really showing their uh, true feelings when they are fawning because they just are living in fear, fear of retaliation, fear of outburst, fear of so many uh, different things. So in the aftermath of whatever relationship you might have been in where people-pleasing was a big part, if you grew up being a people-pleaser, no matter where you are, if you are a people-pleaser and you're trying to figure out how do I stop being a people-pleaser, I think, I guess the biggest way to start would be, it's to start learning your own identity and what your needs and wants are. There have been so many times on the show where we talk to people that don't know who they are. They don't have their identity yet. They were never allowed to have one, maybe growing up or even within the relationship that they were in, there was an erosion of that identity going on. So they have to learn how to identify what their wants and needs are. And journaling can be a very powerful thing. A long time ago, I had someone who I was talking to that we never ended up doing a recording with who really didn't know anything about themselves. And they use something called the year compass at the end of every single year to fill out these kind of year-long journals about who they were in the past year and what they wanted to do in in their future year. And every year they would put in the new things that they wanted to do. And if by the next year they re- they never did the thing that they wanted to do, they crossed it off their list and said, obviously, I didn't want to do that. But then there were the things that they did want to do, which they kept on doing. And this person started to really manifest a life for themselves uh, by doing that such a process because they were putting things in these journals that they wanted to do themselves, the needs that they wanted to have, and they were testing things out, and no one was giving them any input on it. It was all about them. So they would put in there, if they wanted to go on a vacation, the jobs they wanted to do, the hobbies, all of these things, and they would just kind of put it in there, and they'd give give themselves encouragement as well you know, within these little journals saying like, this sounds great. I love this idea. Go for it. And things along those lines. So they were giving themselves this positive, very, very positive reinforcement on these things that they wanted to do. And therefore the decisions that you're making are your decisions and not pleasing anybody else. So another thing to do is to return back to your body And that's a really big thing. It's a big thing for me. I'm an overthinker. And with overthinking, you're outside of your actual body leading the way. And if you're a people pleaser, you're constantly living in someone else's mind, someone else's whole entire body, someone else's being. So a great way to try and get yourself back into being yourself and not being a people pleaser is to really start prioritizing uh, yourself and, and your body and a lot of somatic exercises and grounding exercises. You know, staying in the present, like doing breath work becomes a, a big thing here. And, and this way your body is able to uh, recenter on your experience and the more you're kind of slowing down because when you're an overthinker you are in many intensive purposes going really fast and being back in your body is going to help you slow down and from this slow down position you will be able to feel more 
you'll be really in touch with all of your senses and your brain won't be the one that's always in charge. And this way you can really get a sense of who you are in this grounded position and really start to feel things like you weren't able to before. And it's one of the things that I am constantly working on myself because it's just so important to bring the body in and understand like your head isn't always right about things. You know, your head will be right about some things, but it's not 100%. So you have to bring these other parts of you back in. And when you're someone who's a people pleaser and overstepping that boundary line and going to someone else, you're reining yourself back in, you're slowing yourself down, and you'll be able to make uh, healthier decisions and, and create more healthy boundaries, etc. From from this point of being. And that gets us into uh, boundaries. You know, setting boundaries is a huge thing. We're going to be doing a more of a long form uh, episode on boundaries, but boundaries are there for your own uh, protection. It's, you know, you can be a people pleaser, but you can be a healthy version of a people pleaser. And with boundaries, you kind of set in like, I guess, a value system of like what I will tolerate and expectations and limitations on things uh, when it comes to relationships. So a process of this with boundaries when you are a people pleaser and you're in some sort of relationship, whether it be work, whether it be in a romantic relationship uh, or, or within your family, if you notice that you become resentful, angry, overwhelmed or burnt out or burned out because of the relationship with your partner, start asking questions like, one, what unmet need is this emotion drawing my attention to? Do I need more space? Do I need more affection? What is a, you know, fair distribution of household chores? Uh, things along those lines. And then when you kind of uh, understand your feelings and, and your emotions uh, with all these situations or what your needs are, you can then state your boundary to your partner in a healthy uh, healthy way. So another thing on our list here is uh, self-care. And you need to take care of yourself. And that comes from sleeping, healthy eating, seeing your friends, uh, you know, staying within your budget. All these things can be self-care. Exercise is also in there for self-care. Uh, these are, you know, a prerequisite to being a strong, uh, having a strong sense of self and, you know, doing these things as well. You can be in a relationship with someone, but there has to be some sort of balance that you're not overdoing it all the time and that you are, you know, taking care of yourself and all of your needs as well to be the best version you can be and then also have a healthy relationship at the same time. So, you know, when it comes to people pleasing, breaking the pattern of people pleasing when it comes to a relationship doesn't mean that you are a selfish person, that you're a cold person, or that you're like this demanding, controlling partner. It just simply means that you won't find yourself in an imbalanced relationship going forward that may leave you being, or that may leave you feeling very resentful. It will only actually strengthen uh, your partnership going forward because you're giving freely and lovingly to your partner. There's no strings attached to anything. You're getting your needs met uh, while also being available to your partner uh, for their love, their help, and their support. So there's an evenness that is going on when you stop being a people pleaser. And overall, that is very healthy for a relationship. 
So last thing, when you're trying to, you know, fix this and not be as much as a people pleaser anymore and you're doing these processes, you're doing these journalings, you're doing this self-care, sometimes it's very difficult still to kind of have these ha- these things happen overnight. You know, practicing these things is difficult if you're a lifelong people pleaser. It's not going to, Rome is not built in a day. So when you're doing actions in your relationship or, or at work or things along those lines, try to think of these few things to kind of get yourself back on track in the moment and say, am I saying or doing things to please someone else right now? Is this people pleasing or thing that I am saying done at my own expense? And obviously if that is a yes, then you're going through that, but you can then stay in the moment and work yourself out of that. Uh, Do my actions right now align with my personal values? And I always tell people, you know, try to think yourself as a brand if you were a brand, what are your brand values? What's your brand personality? Start writing those things out about yourself. What is, what are my values? What are, what are my brand personalities? And really kind of hammer that home so you know uh, when your values or your brand personality is broken. You can see these things, you can understand them in the moment and then kind of rein yourself back in. And then another one on here, the last one here is, am I being authentic? Or am I taking actions for someone else's benefit? And if you're being authentic, that is good. But if you're taking actions for someone uh, someone else's benefit, then you are still in that people-pleasing mode and you can kind of in the moment present evaluate that, learn from it, and, and move forward. And it's okay if you keep on making these mistakes. You're in this learning process. Over time, this will hopefully become less and, and less and less as these things go on in your healing process from being a people-pleaser. So that is our episode for people pleasing. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And if you want to be a guest on our show, uh, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do read all the instructions and send it in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have our very own support group. And at our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com, you can press on the support group page, the support group button, and it'll take you to our group. It's our very own safe social network. There you have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get validated and for you to validate other survivors like yourself. It's a great group of people on there. And that is at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page that says support group button. Click on it. It'll take you there. Hope to see you soon. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. They have articles and resources there that can help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number, every email address, every web address for every shelter and agency, no matter how big your town is, no matter how small your town is, they have it there at DomesticShelters.org. So please do visit them today. It's a wonderful resource and it is free. And that is it for our show. So I hope you really enjoyed our show today on people-pleasing, and I hope you have a good night.